Hey everyone, I'm Julie Gunlock, host of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. For those new to this program, this podcast is focused on how parents should custom tailor their parenting style to fit what's best for their families, themselves, and most importantly, their kids. Today, I am speaking with my friend, Max Eden. Max is a research fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, where he focuses on education reform, specifically K through 12 education and early childhood education. Before rejoining AEI, he was a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. I'm really glad to have Max on today. We're going to be talking about kind of a dark subject, um, the increasing violence we're seeing um, in schools and among kids. And uh, and so thanks, Max, for, for joining me. I think this is a really confusing time for a lot of parents. Yeah, no, it, it really is. And it's unfortunate. And I'm looking forward to helping, you know, you unpack it for them. Yeah, you know, we have a lot of folks on that watch this podcast that really want the freedom uh, to parent their kids the way they see fit. But I feel like um, I feel like now parents are asking for more guidance. What can they do not only to help their kids, but from from maybe acting, I mean, I, I don't think a lot of listeners to the show necessarily have violent kids, but maybe, but maybe after COVID, they've noticed some changes with their kids. Um, but also, I think a lot of parents want to know, how can I protect my kids? And I know that's a really broad question, but I, I and I, I think the first question I would ask is, am I wrong? Is there more violence in schools today? Is there more violence among young people? Okay. Um, that's my first question. Cause sometimes I think the media can blow these things out of proportion and pretty soon, you know, you're, you know, it's like, it's like um, free range parenting. You're constantly told you shouldn't free range parenting cause a white van might pull up and steal your kids. Right. That's the narrative in the media. Is this the same thing? Is it being overblown or are we seeing more in, an, an increase in violence among young kids? Um, well, it's, it's always hard to say for certain kind of blanket things about, kind of national trends, but there are statistics to suggest this is true. There was a national poll that was commissioned and disseminated by the Department of Education, I think it came out three or four months ago, that suggested that somewhere in the order of 80% of teachers say that there's been a rise in, you know, school violence or in students talking back or in fights. And that's really the only clear national data point we have, but it's it's consistent with what we've also seen, which is just a rise of stories in the news, a rise of kind of videos that make their way around. And so I think it's it's pretty you know, reasonable to say based on the data we have, and certainly very intuitively reasonable to say uh, that violence has been exacerbated in the post-COVID era. era. Uh, But the effects of COVID aren't kind of the only reason for that. There are kind of several forces that are combining to make schools kind of less safe and orderly places. Let's talk a little bit about that, because I think that this is both a parenting problem. I really do. I think too often we say it's COVID and it's the schools and it's this. I think parents are really failing in this country. I think there's been a change in the way parents parent. Um, And I'd like to explore that a little bit. But let's talk about COVID. And I mean, I, I sometimes feel like parents just say, well, it's COVID and I'm not responsible for this. But talk to me about um, if there have been, I mean, you mentioned that one story or that one study. It, is it a COVID effect or are there other things at play here? Um, it's partly, there are kind of two major factors, I would say. Partly, it, there is a COVID effect, right? Locking kids in their house, putting them in front of screens, telling them they can't play with their friends, making them scared about playing with their friends, interrupting their social development by putting masks on their faces, which increases the anxiety in any given social interaction. I mean, I'm not a developmental, you know, psychologist or neurobiologist, but that stuff 
does not just go away the second the restrictions are dropped and the second the kids get back together. You have third graders who have never have interacted as much with each other as kindergartners have. You know, you have people who hit puberty and gone back to school without ever kind of navigating that process with their friends. So that's that's a huge thing that can't be discounted. And unfortunately, there's nothing to be done about it at this point. But the other factor that goes kind of under discussed, and I think is, you know, COVID is used as a cover for it, is the rise of what we've talked about some years ago of restorative justice in schools. Um, and this is kind of a, a complicated story to tell, but the simplest version is under the Obama administration, the federal office of civil rights started to pressure school districts to adopt a different way to deal with school discipline. Traditionally, the model is a student misbehaves, he gets in trouble. You know, he does something bad, he gets a detention, he does something really bad, he gets a suspension, really, really bad, he gets an expulsion, and rules have consequences and consequences are enforced. This is no longer the dominant paradigm for how schools deal with misbehavior, right? Because partly because the Obama administration believed that the racial disparities in school discipline were a sign of institutional racism and a kind of proto-critical race theory Thing. So this this whole pipeline to prison mm-hmm. narrative that we heard yeah. years ago. Yeah. Go on. Yeah, no, and that's a, a, a complete statistical aberration. I mean, there are reasons why these racial disparities exist because there are massive inequities in society. And there are reasons why kids who misbehave in school are more likely to misbehave outside of school. And it's nothing to do with them being punished or not punished for their misbehavior. But on the strength of this narrative, the argument went not only is giving consequences and implicitly biased or inherently racist, it's also directly harmful to students. Because the theory goes, you know, anything that is punitive is damaging, whereas trying to get to the root of the problem, trying to be restorative, having a discussion, trying to repair harm is theoretically a more effective way to ameliorate misbehavior. Uh, the problem with this is that once schools adopt it, the principals have in their minds that I'm successful or I'm a failure to the extent that I can lower detentions, lower suspensions, lower expulsions. And this is something my mom experienced firsthand when she was teaching Cleveland Public Schools. The principal basically told her, don't send a kid to my office unless there's been a fight. And when the principal said that, my mom lost the ability to control her classroom because the kids knew. Right. right? Um, the The whole theory of all misbehavior is a communication of is a communication of need. Therefore, it should be met as a need, and you should try to repair and restore. It doesn't quite fit with human nature. Human nature actually is kids will try to test the boundaries and go uh, straight, every time. yeah, and go straight up to where the boundary is. And if they sense the boundaries going back, then they will put it to the boundary. Right? If the boundary of the misbehavior you're allowed is you can't untuck your shirt, and you get sent to the office if you have your shirt untucked. Well, then you'll have a couple of kids will keep on untucking their shirts and a lot won't. If the boundary is you can't punch a kid, well, then you'll have a couple of kids who are punching kids and, and some kids who won't. You just have a much wider subsidy for misbehavior. And these so-called restorative interventions rarely ever occur, right? I mean, yeah. theoretically, they could help sometimes. But in reality, there's not enough time to restore every bit of damage, repair every bit of harm, get to the root, cut of it, root causes of every bit of misbehavior. So what will happen when you talk to teachers, it's a very common thing to hear. Like I send a kid to the office and he comes back with a lollipop and I'm the one who kind of gets in trouble for sending him to the office because the principal thinks, well, what are you doing wrong in this situation? Why didn't you get to the root of it? Or why didn't you fill out enough paperwork before sending him my way? So, you know, the combination of kids being kind of less socially effectively adjusted just because they were around each other less 
for a long time and were stressed and had all sorts of kind of anxiety symptoms exacerbated. They come back into a school where kind of increasingly the rules of the game have changed, become more permissive. That's just a recipe for what we're seeing, which is, you know, environments where fights are more common, where swearing is more common, where disrespect goes unpunished. Oh, I tell you, Max, it's, you know, I actually talked to you years ago when my child was in the public schools um, and he got hit from behind and sort of thrown across a hallway. And, and the reason I contacted you and talked to you and you were very helpful was um, because of uh, uh, the school not giving me any information. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's another part of it. Now we see that not only are these, it's sort of now a consequence free environment but in many cases, I don't think parents even know either that their kids have been hit or, you know, attacked or that maybe even their kid is is um, is misbehaving in many cases. So and I will also say, you know, we talk about this mythical pipeline sort of issue that Obama promoted. Um, and I don't I don't know the data on this. So I will ask you, but I feel like a lot of kids who go to schools and misbehave consistently over and over again probably don't have the most stable home lives. And again, I don't know if that's true. I assume so because I know my kids know that I will crack some skulls if they misbehave or disrespectful, but I assume that that that's true. And therefore, when you took away the consequences in high school, it might've been the only consequences these kids were seeing. Um, So now you have an unstable family life and then again, sort of the Alvin Bragg <laughs> approach to uh, crime in the schools on a nation on a nationwide level. It makes sense that we're starting to see this. And again, it started way before COVID. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the data on it's actually pretty straightforward. Um, students who come from a single parent family background are twice as likely to get suspended as students who come from two parent backgrounds. Um, and, you know, it also just so happens that African-American students are about three times as likely to come from a single parent background as, as white or as, as white students. And that's about the overall size of the disparity. Right. Um, and so, you know, the fact that the school punishes a misbehavior is not really a significant thing in the course of a child's life, except insofar as if the school sends a message that you can misbehave, that puts those kids in for a really rude awakening, right? I mean, when you see you know, a fight at school, the kid might get suspended for it, right? But if he goes outside, does the exact same thing three years later when he's 19 years old, he could go to jail for it. Maybe not in New York City, but still in a lot of jurisdictions right. where, like, the schools are playing by a rule that almost suspends rule of law and sends a signal that, you know, you're not really responsible for your misbehavior because it could be excused because it's somebody else's fault because we know that you didn't really mean it. Um, so, yeah, those kids don't get that kind of authority structure from school. They don't have it at home. And in my view, that's what creates the real school to prison pipeline, not simply kind of enforcing rules with consequences, which is the way of the world. And the world's not really going to change in that regard. I want to go back to something you said that I thought was interesting. You mentioned that your mom's a teacher and she was teaching under these circumstances and it made it very difficult for her. And I think sometimes I can't quite work this out, you know, you, you focus on K through 12 education, obviously, you know, you're, you're well aware of, you know, the situation with the teachers unions. This is what always confuses me, Max, and maybe you can shed some light on this. Teachers are in danger in many of these violent schools and they support, at least in my case, and 
I mean, I, I didn't do a poll, but there was never any objections to the restorative justice practices that were at least I never heard any complaints from the teachers. And I was, I attended a lot of meetings and, you know, the, where the, where the, the school principal would talk glowingly about restorative justice practices. Um, I don't understand why te- more teachers don't speak up about this. Is it just because the union is so powerful? Are they afraid of backlash and retribution? I, I just, you know, and maybe this isn't your field of expertise, but I think about people like your mom, you know, being put in a really dangerous situation. We see these viral videos of that woman who took someone's twitch away or switch or whatever they're called. And, uh, and she got tackled and that, you know, she had a concussion and, and we know other examples of teachers, you know, facing grave dan- danger, the, the teacher in, uh, that was shot by her six-year-old, you know, by a six-year-old in Virginia. Anyway, you get the point is why hasn't there been a rebellion against Randy Weingarten and the, and the teachers union who are totally fine with restorative justice? Um, frankly, because the power, stru- the actual power structure of the teachers unions prohibits that rebellion from taking place. Right. I will say from my kind of experience reading, researching, talking to people, your local union is probably uniquely bad in this regard. <laughs> a lot of times I, I talk to local union leaders uh, and they will be, you know, it's like I'm talking to myself on school discipline issues. They'll talk, they'll, they'll say exactly what I'm saying, exactly what you're saying. They're there to try to protect their teachers as much as they can. But the higher up you get, the more the incentive in the union structure is to go with, you know, what is the center of gravity for, you know, the left-wing ideology du jour, and so at the national level and sometimes at the state level, you have them very aggressively pushing it. At the local level, you have them trying to push back, but kind of being neutered in terms of like how strongly they can really speak against this because they can't come out and outright say we oppose restorative justice because their leadership is in favor of it. But they can say, you know, the administrators aren't listening to the teachers, the administrators aren't dishing out you know, enough consequences, things have gotten too soft. And we are seeing that in some cases. It's just a, a question of kind of, ideology balancing with defending interests and then just the structure of the union is not really democratic in any way shape, or form. And at the top level, their incentive structure is not to protect teachers at all. It is just to kind of be one of the power brokers of the institutional left. And so that's kind of what they get from the top down. And it becomes very difficult for the union folks who know what's going on with their teachers and who want to protect teachers to do that effectively. Because I have to tell you, it's good to hear that because I it it I was resentful. I'm I I still remain resentful of the teachers who didn't didn't you know when 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 I experienced that and I had no no one would help me and no one would share information with me. You know, it didn't make me resentful, and I'm still allowed to be resentful of those particular teachers. But um, you are. But it, it gives it gives me this, but it it actually gave me this sense that no one's on my side and. Um, and the teachers are all have bought into this. So it's important for me to hear that too, that, you know, it has to also be, I think when I was fighting with my, you know, all my kids are now out of that school, but when I was fighting that fight, there was a point where I just became tired because I couldn't fight it without lawyers that I was, you know, so I imagine there's a little bit of exhaustion on the part of teachers who just want to get to their retirement and go away (laughs) and have a, you know, and not have to deal with this stuff. So that that is that does give me pause, um, and makes me really feel bad for teachers that are trying to do their best um, in the schools. What what would advice would you give for parents? Look, I, I this is what I say all the time. Like that's why we need school choice. That's why you know this, and I feel like that is so not helpful to people who are stuck, and there are people stuck 
in those schools. What can people do? What do you what do you suggest to people in terms of I don't know, what what do they tell their children? You know, I mean, aside from get your kids out of violent schools, um, and these days I'm not sure some private schools aren't better are better. So what can parents do? Yeah, I mean, the first thing is to figure out if there's a problem, right? Like you don't want a parent, you know, we don't want the listeners of this podcast to be put in the position you were in where you, you figure out there's a problem when your kid gets hit, right? You want to figure out if there's a problem well before that point. And you're probably not going to figure it out from your kid. You may, maybe you will, but your best source is your teacher. And the best way to do that is to ask the teacher a few pretty simple non-loaded questions and just say, hey, like, do you feel like the administrators support you on discipline? And if they say, yeah, they do, they're great, then maybe there's not a problem. Say, hey, are there any, have there been any room clears at my school this semester? And your listeners might not know what a room clear is. It's a pretty new phenomenon. Uh, it used to be if there was a student who would kind of lose his marbles in class, a teacher or a school, school security officer would need to lay a hand on that student to restrain him, to bring him out the door and to calm him down. Uh, in a lot of cases, that's become all but impossible because of various policies and paperwork and liability that have been built in. So what you are finding more and more is that the teacher will funnel all of the kids out of the classroom and leave the misbehaving student in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, so just asking if that's happening is, I think, a, a must-do for any given parent because that will tell you a lot about the overall climate of the school. If it's not happening, then probably the school is still reasonably sane in the way that it's going about it. If it is, you know something has gone profoundly wrong in the way that the school is being administered. Um, and then the third question and to ask any, any teacher is, hey, is there anybody in my class who, like, I don't need names, I know their privacy concerns, but anybody in my kid's class who, like, seems kind of off or potentially dangerous to you? And see what they say to that, right? Because those kids aren't, there's not necessarily one of them in every classroom, but there might be one of them in every district. And those are the kind of, you know, low probability, high impact things that a parent needs to know about and kind of needs to ask. And they can kind of sense in the teacher's reaction <laughs> whether that, uh, you know, student is there, whether their sense of, sense of fear is there. And if they find that it is, then they need to ask the teacher, what, what can I do to support you? Um, is there any way I can get parents together to talk to the principal? Is there a way I can get parents together to talk to the school board member and see how you are kind of responded to in the most aggressive uh, recommendation I would make? And it's actually pretty, pretty easy. It would be if a parent starts to get really alarmed, has a few friends who are on board with trying to do something, administer an, an anonymous poll to the teachers. Just get, the, get all their emails, send them an email, ask them a few questions on SurveyMonkey, and then just say, is there anything else you want to say about school safety or your concerns about student discipline? And you leave them that open-ended response. And what you can get then is potentially, you know, dozens of horror stories that you can yeah. take in paper form to your school board at a school board meeting to your principal and say, this is the reality that I've been told about. We're concerned. We need these policies to change. And you'll know based on how you received whether or not there's any hope of changing those policies. And frankly, there might not be. Uh, but I think it's kind of as you start off this conversation by saying it's incumbent on parents to try, because if parents kind of abdicate their authority and their concern when they send their kids to school and schools kind of abdicate their moral position when they handle student discipline, then you can't really complain when things get out of control because nobody is putting their foot down. Nobody is trying to 
insist on any form of moral order and things in the school will get more disrespectful, more chaotic, and more violent as long as that vacuum is created. This is enormously helpful information. And actually, it makes me remember that in my town of Alexandria, Virginia, a parent did exactly that. He was very concerned about what I'm saying is he polled the community, actually. And he did a very simple poll. And, you know, people could attack him for saying, well, this wasn't scientific. But boy, he put a lot of work into it. And he had this respect of the community. He was very calm. He was on a fact-finding mission and it was undeniable. I mean, the results were pretty uh, shocking. And I I mean, shocking because in my community, first of all, there's a lot of people who don't send their kids to the public schools. And I think he did a community-wide survey, Um, but it was also the, the honesty of some of the answers. So it was very helpful for him to make a case and as such, they brought SROs back. They're now going to do metal detectors in the schools. And, and let me tell you, this after COVID, when the kids went back to school, there was so much violence and gun confiscation. There was a, a deadly stabbing right outside of the school. I mean, the brawls, the viral videos uh, of brawls, I mean, girls, and it wasn't just boys. I mean, it was girls too. And it was a, it was a real shock to the system. But again, a parent was the one who finally affected that change. So that is really good advice, Max. And I, I can't thank you enough for go, coming on here. Um, you have given some great advice, but also so, sort of explained. Uh, and, I, and in some ways, I don't know if it's reassuring, but reminded me that this was a problem way before COVID. I think it's way too, or it's way too easy. And I think the teachers union love it when we blame everything on COVID because then they don't have to think about restorative justice and, and some of these, um, these changes in discipline that created this permissive consequence free, um, setting in the schools. So thank you so much, Max. I appreciate it. Thank you. I love that conversation with Max. He is so great. Um, the Bespoke Parenting Podcast with Julie Gunlock is a production of the Independent Women's Forum. You can send comments and question, questions to julie.gunlock at iwf.org. Please help me out by hitting the subscribe button and please leave us a comment or review on Apple Podcasts, Acast, Google Play, YouTube, or iwf.org. It really does matter and it helps my podcast if we can get those reviews. So thanks again for listening. Hang in there, parents, and go bespoke.